Good morning and Merry Christmas almost, even though it's going to be 70 degrees outside today. That deserves applause. Somebody told me this morning that it's because they bought a snowblower, and that's why the weather is so. That's probably right. For those of you who bought snowblowers, thank you very much. You are responsible for this weather. We're going to look at a fascinating prayer this morning, actually. I've never preached on this prayer before, and a really interesting thing happened over the last couple of weeks as I was thinking about this passage. I was reading an article about culture at about the same time that I was thinking at and looking at this prayer, and oddly, those two things came together for me. You'll hear how in a minute. But we're going to look at this morning Mary's magnificent prayer on the occasion of her hearing that you know she's going to give birth to the Savior under these extraordinary circumstances. So if you would, let's go old school, stand with me, and we're going to read Luke 1, 46 through 56. I'd love for you to be looking at your Bible if you have one, your Bible or a physical Bible or your phone, but it will be on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible. Luke is the third of the biographies written about Jesus in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Listen to Mary's prayer. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, and he's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then they returned home. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, why does it feel like our culture has drifted so far morally? If you need some evidence, let me just offer some evidence this morning in no particular order. According to the CDC, approximately one-third of the population of America has some form of STD. We have the highest STD rate in the industrialized world. We also have the highest teen pregnancy rate in the industrialized world. Eighteen percent of women in America say that they have been raped at some point in their lives. It's estimated that one out of four American girls will experience some kind of sexual abuse in their lifetime. It's estimated that 30 percent of all Internet traffic goes to adult sites, and that 89% of pornography is produced in the United States. The marriage rate in America is at an all-time historic low. Right now, 6.8 marriages per 1,000 people in our country annually. And America has the highest divorce rate in the world by a wide margin. According to the Pew Research Center, 51% of all American adults are married. In 1960, that figure was 72%. America has the highest incarceration rate and the largest prison population in the world, and it's not even close. 
More than 11% of American drivers admit to having driven home under the influence of alcohol in the last year. According to the CDC, American doctors write 250 million antidepressant prescriptions per year. Children in America are three times as likely to be prescribed antidepressants as children in Europe. Of all industrialized countries, America is the most obese. In 1962, 13% of Americans were obese. Experts expect that figure to be 45% by the year 2030. Nearly one-fifth of all Americans have no religious affiliation. One-fifth. In 1972, that figure was less than 6%. 30% of Americans, quote, seldom or never, end quote, attend religious services. And 66% of Americans believe that religion is losing its influence over our culture. At this point, I think very few people are questioning that Christian values and morality have lost their front and center position in American culture. All right, trust me, I promise this is not some angry rant about the horrible ills of America these days. In fact, I think far too often we Christians end up angrily denouncing our culture in a way that doesn't honor the place to which God has called us. And sometimes our angry condemnation allows us to feel a kind of superior us versus them attitude, when in reality, many of these problems we share, many of the ills we contributed to. So the the same question applies to us individually, doesn't it? Why do we personally struggle to do what's right sometimes? Why aren't we stronger in resisting temptations and secret sins? Why don't we see ourselves growing more consistently in godliness? Okay, I admit, this sounds like a strange introduction to a conversation about the passage that I read this morning from Luke, Mary's prayer. I mean, Luke 1, 46 through 56. In that passage, Luke has recorded for us a beautiful, poetic prayer, a prayer of praise offered by Mary. Again, on the occasion of hearing what was about to happen to her, through her, really. So what does the decline of American values have to do with that? Okay, well, here's the idea that brings these two seemingly disconnected things together. So stay with me. Christian morality and ethics cannot be maintained without Christian doctrine. You have to think rightly about God in order to grow in godliness. You have to think rightly about God in order to grow in godliness. And Mary's prayer offers us a robust, expansive, faith-filled picture of God. And this picture, by the way, remember, is offered up quite spontaneously. Mary isn't trying to construct a statement of faith. She's just pouring out her heart to God. But what flows is as clear and as robust a picture of God as anything you'll find in any of the weighty theological sections of the letters of the Apostle Paul. This is a young girl who knew her God, and her heart demonstrates it. And I'm suggesting this morning that this kind of knowledge is what undergirds our growth in godliness. The core of our problems, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. 
The core of our problems as individuals and as a culture is not that we're making bad choices. We make bad choices because we think wrongly about God. In Mary's brief prayer, she spontaneously offers up four great thoughts about God and the general praise that she begins with that tell us a great deal about her godliness, I think, and I believe can help us with ours. So we're going to begin our examination of Mary's prayer at the bottom, and we're going to work our way up to the top, up to her opening praise, if you'll work with me. So let's begin at the bottom. Verses 54 and 55, Mary declares, God our Savior has been faithful. God our Savior has been faithful. Verses 54 and 55, he has remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God had promised over the course of centuries that a great Messiah would come, and here he is coming to earth as a baby, and Mary knows her Bible. She knows that this represents God being merciful to his people. And when Mary says, remembering to be merciful. She doesn't mean that somehow God had forgotten and now all of a sudden he remembers. She means that God has always had us in his mind. He remembers in an ongoing active sense. God remembers his people. God is faithful. Specifically, she says, he remembers Abraham and his descendants. You know, the imaginations of early Christian commentators were often captured by what this phrase said about Abraham. Check this. The suggestion is that somehow Abraham is in the present tense. Somehow Abraham is still alive at the time of this prayer, and he's being influenced by the events that are happening through Mary. Wildly, at one point, Jesus himself seems to hint at the same thing. And there's a fascinating exchange between Jesus and some of his critics when he's being challenged. And Jesus said this, this is in John, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Verses 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. God our Savior has been faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes question this, not out of doubt really, so much as impatience. You know, come on, God, get going. I want this or this or I need this to happen. I forget that God's timing is always perfect and that he sees reality as it is in light of eternity. God, our Savior, has been faithful. Second great thought about God. Mary tells us that God, our Savior, has satisfied the demands of justice. God, our Savior, has satisfied the demands of justice. The second half of verse 51 through verse 53, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Okay, the message of the Bible is consistently clear on this. Across many centuries, in all kinds of contexts, through a library, literally, of authors. All those who've gone before us and experienced the real presence of God and who have been inspired by God to write about their experience and in response to their experience, they have consistently testified that there will be a reckoning. There will be an evening of accounts. 
All things will be brought to bear and brought to light. The proud will be humbled. The humble will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled. The overstuffed will go away empty. This is why certain contemporary authors have called Jesus' kingdom an upside-down kingdom. The way to lead is to serve according to Jesus. The way to live is to die. The way to the front is to get in the back. The humble will be lifted up. The proud will be brought down. And Mary is so confident of this in her prayer that she speaks of it, just like some of the Old Testament prophets, in the past tense. This has happened, Mary declares, even though she certainly sees evidence to the contrary, but she knows because God is faithful and because Messiah is coming, justice will be served. God has satisfied the demands of his justice. And think about the kind of guardrail that this would provide our choices and our actions if we knew with confidence that God our Savior would do this work, that he would satisfy the demands of his justice. If we knew this to be true, we would guard our hearts and minds diligently against the press of pride. Diane, my wife, if you're a guest, welcome. Thanks for coming. My wife is Diane. She is the cute little woman sitting down here near the front. Actually, there are several cute little women, so she's going to be the cutest. No offense, I hope, to any of the other women. It's just true. (laughs) Diane has spent the last year and a half working as a secretary at a local Loudoun County elementary school. And she comes home daily and tells me stories, and she's seen and heard some, you know, really wonderful things. But she's also had a front row seat to observe how demanding you and I are especially about our children. (laughs) We are determined to see them lifted up. I think this betrays our lack of confidence that God has satisfied the demands of justice. Think about what our culture lifts up. Let's just say it's not the humble or the hungry. Verses 51b through 53, He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. God our Savior has satisfied the demands of justice. Okay, Mary's third great thought about God. God our Savior is on our side. He is merciful to us. Verses 50 and the first part of 51, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, some of you will recognize this passage, uses a really beautiful, striking image. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, the prophet says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear. This part of Mary's prayer brings Isaiah's image to my mind. His mercy extends to us like a mighty long arm grabbing us and bringing us to safety and then wrapping us in warmth and protection. And this is true for all of those who fear him. And this is true from generation to generation, and if Mary had had the time, she would have said to generation, to generation, to generation. God our Savior is on our side. Years ago when I was in seminary, my grandmother passed away in South Carolina, 
Her funeral service was in a, a church outside of Spartanburg, South Carolina, in a church building that my grandmother and my grandfather helped build. I confess the significance of that was lost on me, but I've revisited that in light of our current efforts to build a building with newfound appreciation and admiration. My mother and my aunts asked me if I would speak at her funeral. I was going to be the family guy going into the ministry, I guess. So I did. I spoke at my grandmother's funeral. And when I finished, the man who had been my grandmother's favorite pastor, he was an older man at this point, although I now realize just how young he was, but he had been her pastor during her middle years. And he got up to speak, and he started his sermon by reading 2 Timothy 1.5. Let me read that for you. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Then he turned to me. He said, I've spent many hours with your grandmother listening to her talk about praying for you and your cousins and praying with her for you and your cousins. And today, I got to hear God's faithful answer to those prayers. You see, I stand on the shoulders of generations of people who have been the recipients of God's mercy. And so do some of you and others of you. You get to be the beginning of the chain of mercy. You have stepped into God's mercy, and you represent generations of others who will follow you. you follow in that river. I'm reminding us of this today because this knowledge, the knowledge that God is with us, that God is merciful to us, this knowledge releases us to live with freedom, from fear and from worry, a freedom that we really we all long for and we need. The knowledge that God our Savior is on our side sets us free. This may be part of the reason that Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 50 and 51, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And then the next great point of prayer, and we're going to spend longer on this than you might imagine, but I think it's important for us. Mary recognizes that God our Savior blessed her. God our Savior blessed Mary. Listen to this, verse 48 and 49. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Okay, let's recognize here that Mary gets who she is. Let me explain. Over the centuries, Christians have been divided on how to view Mary. I believe based on what Mary prays here, we have to acknowledge how right she was about herself and how wrong so many Christ followers have been about her over the centuries. Look, far too many of us let our thoughts and actions 
be governed by a kind of superstition or sentimentality that has nothing to do with faith. Let me say that again. Far too many of us let our thoughts and actions be governed by a superstition and a sentimentality that have nothing to do with faith. And frankly, that kind of thinking cannot support or sustain real godliness. Thoughts about Mary are an example of exactly what I'm talking about. Over the centuries, some Christians have worshipped Mary. They have prayed to Mary. They have believed that statues of Mary brought them healing. I honestly believe that Mary would be horrified by this. Notice in her prayer, Mary recognizes that people will call her blessed. They won't call her holy. They'll call her blessed. Something has happened to her, not because of her. Holy is God's name. They won't consider her extraordinary. They'll call her blessed. In fact, the opposite of extraordinary is true. The distance between Mary and most of us is not the distance of the great godliness of Mary and much lesser godliness of mere mortals like us. The distance is the great action by God on her behalf and often lesser action in many of our cases. That Mary became the mother of God tells us about the greatness of God, not the greatness of Mary. Now those of you who came from Catholic backgrounds, let me remind you that the Catholic Church does not, does not advocate the worship of Mary. God alone is to be worshipped. However, the Catholic Church does advocate the veneration of Mary. So, I can't avoid it. Let me offer a warning about this. I would suggest if you want to follow that line of teaching, you have to be very careful about how you put that into practice. I've tried to be cautious and circumspect over the years about criticizing Catholic doctrine, both in my own thoughts and in what we say here on Sunday at Gateway. First of all, because I'm convinced that denominational warring does not do any good for the reputation of Christ. Secondly, because very few of us care about denominations anymore, and that's a good thing. And, and thirdly, because many Catholic authors and speakers have been important and influential in my own spiritual development. So I want to avoid criticism. However, on this issue, I need to say something because it has been an influence on some of you in your early spiritual development, and I think it can be limiting and even harmful. This is going to have a larger application in a second, so hang on, even to those of you who grew up Protestant. As I said, when our thoughts and actions are governed by superstition and sentimentality, they don't lead to genuine godliness. So if we find ourselves praying to Mary, we need to know that we are violating the spirit of her prayer and of the Bible as a whole. When we engage on relying on Mary or the saints in general for good luck or for safe driving or for the sale of our house, then we're engaged not in biblical faith or biblical thinking. This is superstition. Mary recognized that God our Savior, through his power and his holiness, blessed her. And we should recognize the same. She was blessed in exactly the same way that you and I are blessed. Perhaps not to the same degree, but in the same way. Okay, I'm sorry to take so long with this, but this is an important point for us. Even those of us who grew up in mostly Protestant settings, it's more important than we might think. Because it's easy for our faith to get mixed up with sentimentality and superstition. 
Christmas threatens to do this to us every year. We get caught up in the lights and the tree and the warmth and the family and the presence, and, and even those, those are wonderful things. They have nothing to do with Jesus. And we do well to keep them separated. So we don't need to reject the lights and the tree, but we need to make right distinctions in our thinking. When we feel warm all over because we're watching this wonderful life, that's probably not an experience with the Holy Spirit. This is why, those of you who have known me for years, I am very careful to use language like God spoke to me. Because I don't ever want our faith to be commingled with sentimentality, and, and I love sentimentality, but I don't want to mix the two. We need to keep them clear in our thinking. Sentimentality and superstition do not lead to godly living and godly choices. Let's honor the incredible God and his incredible blessing of this remarkable young woman, and let's look for and long for and pray for God's blessing in our lives. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Mary begins her prayer, obviously, with glorifying God our Savior, and she does so with her whole being. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So, obviously, with this view of God, Mary's going to glorify him. (laughs) And, And given the fact that he's done for her, or about to do what he's about to do, of course she's going to explode with giving God praise. But hasn't God blessed us? So I'm going to give you an assignment for this week. I want you to try to take some time this week. I know this is going to be one of those, dang, 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 really do this. I want you to really try to take some time. This will be easier for some of you, because some of you are kind of in the habit of doing this sort of thing already, especially for those of you who aren't. I want you to try to take some time this week and write out your own prayer. Now, you're going to have to try to find a balance. I don't want you to take up a piece of paper and a pen or sit down at your computer and try to think profound thoughts and put those down. However, I do want you to be mindful of your own theology, your own understanding, your own thoughts about God but I I want it at the same time to be spontaneous. I want you to try to write out a prayer this week just to interact with your own heart before Him and let your soul and spirit reach out to Him and rejoice in Him. Be thankful for Jesus that He came and what that means for you and for us as a people. Be thankful for the immense blessings that you have and why and what that says about God. And make sure you acknowledge before him what that says about him. And then I would encourage you on another day to sit down with your own prayer and reflect on it and interact with it the way we have this morning with Mary's prayer. Let's continue to train ourselves, Gateway, to think great thoughts about God because right choices grow out of thinking right thoughts about God. Eugene Peterson is a pastor who has written a lot of devotional, contemplative, here's how to do the spiritual life sorts of books. He wrote a book a number of years ago that has my favorite title of any book. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is how you build a life. Not with the quick hit of a next promotion or the next achievement by your child or the remodeling of your house. You build a life that counts by
thinking right thoughts about God and then acting out of the foundation of those right thoughts over the long haul. And all of us in here this morning have been around long enough to know that. You know that the next promotion, while it may give a lift, it's very short-lived. You know that what this is really about, building a life that matters, is about a long obedience in the same direction. I pray that Mary's prayer will be a reminder to us and that your own prayer this week will reinforce it. And I pray and have prayed that God will bless this this week. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and mighty. This morning we are so thankful that your long arm has reached down to save us and rescue, draw us near. It wraps us and protects us. It guides. Your mercy has extended to us. And Lord, I thank you that that is true for those who fear you from generation to generation. I thank you for the miracle of the birth that happened through Mary. I thank you for her faithfulness and for her obedience. And I thank you for Jesus, our Savior. And I thank you that you're on our side, that you're with us, that you're for us. I thank you for your faithfulness, that you remember us constantly. You remember our cause. And I, I praise you. Honestly, I bow before you. and am blown away and even intimidated. I'm fearful before your justice because I know that the demands of your justice have been met and ultimately will be fully and exactingly satisfied. And we acknowledge that this morning before you. We thank you, Father, for planning and ordaining and constructing. We thank you for Jesus for living out the Father's plan. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying it to our lives. We acknowledge you and praise you this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, we bless you. Lord, I ask that you would make this week rich that you would fill it with reminders of your presence, not just the busyness of the season, but that we would be reminded of you and what you've done through us and to us and for us. Thank you so much. It's in the strong and saving name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.